Faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, there we go. And we're live. Hope we're live. We must be live. There's a few people joined already. Welcome. If you're joining us early on, welcome to VOX World. Uh, for some reason, this the little title here is stopped overlaying on top of the video that we play at the beginning. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, but there you go. Anyway, we're here. We're live, and I'm joined by Letitia Calato of Accenture. Letitia, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, glad to have you along. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been it's been, we've just been talking there about how much I'm, how much I've been multitasking trying to get this thing set up. So I'm just making sure we're live on LinkedIn, which we are, which is cool. Uh, so yeah, welcome welcome to the show. A pleasure to have you on. Uh, we're here to talk about hyperpersonalized voice AI, uh, and probably I would imagine we'll get into some general voice AI chat industry chat industry observations things like that. I'm sure. Uh, but for those that, that are not aware of yourself, Letitia, uh, I'm sure most people are beware of Accenture, um, but maybe it's worth uh, giving us the lay of the land, telling us what you do at Accenture and, uh, and yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, I'm Leticia Cayuto. I'm a long timer in Accenture. I did start a long time ago when it was still called Anderson Consulting. Uh, I'm the global lead for conversational AI, which is uh, very interesting for this particular topic. Uh, I've been founding also Liquid Studio, which is the innovation hub we have in the UK, uh, where I think some of the innovation we're going to talk about are coming from. And then I also lead data on AI in, in Europe. So have a few hats. Uh, really delighted to be here with you today to, to talk about uh, some of our great innovative work uh, in the space of voice uh, UX. So thank you so much for the invitation. No worries. Pleasure. Pleasure. So, so let's, let's start from, from the, the beginning then. So you, you, you're wearing many hats. Uh, I don't know how you find time to, to sleep, uh, sometimes it sounds as though you're doing a hell of a lot of different stuff. Um, what is the kind of main kind of activities that, that you do, or what is it that you're uh, crafting and helping, helping to, to, to build at Accenture? What is Accenture's kind of role within the, the data and AI space and also within the, the conversational AI space? Yeah, I think, uh, okay, so let me start with the data and AI space. Uh, so, so basically, especially now in the post-COVID or in a you know, post-pandemic era, you know, a lot of uh, company and businesses have found it very hard to uh, pivot and understand how to operate, how to manage their businesses, how to reinvent uh, themselves. Um, and, and we've seen a huge uptake of what we call data-driven reinvention um, and then moving to the cloud where people really need the data like they never ever did before um, to actually take the right decision. And, you know, historically data has always been important, but, you know, they were not always very used or, you know, things were done in a silo in POCs and they were, you know, there was always some challenge around quality. 
so now a lot of the work we do is about really moving people to the cloud and, and enabling the data foundation so they can use quality data to actually measure the business, understand what are the key indicators for them to pivot so they can pivot really fast. And obviously with data, there's also AI, yeah? So one of the key challenges of, of, of the post-pandemic is people have been working from home, things have been moving very fast, and people wanted to try new things. And, you know, that dependence on having people uh, as people available um, has been uh, quite, quite important as well, where the number of people had COVID and they couldn't be there. So we do a number of bots as well to kind of automate and mix the human workforce with the, with, with the robotic workforce, if you want, to be able to cope up with people launching new products and all of that. So, um, you know, you have that uh, flexible flexibility to be able to scale you know, an hybrid uh, uh, workforce around that. So that's pretty much uh, very, very busy, especially now with a post-COVID or, you know, during COVID kind of transition. Uh, a number of people are, are taking this, um, you know, to the next level. And, and there's a lot of large transformation kind of program kind of uh, happening. Um, there were some short-term and now there's, there's a lot of long-term Kind of, kind of endeavors as well. Um, so that's super exciting uh, because you know everything is data first now, which is which is which is pretty awesome. And obviously, chatbot and voiceboard and conversational AI are also picking up massively as as you know in uh, on the way. In conversational AI more globally, well, I guess this is where this audience is doing a lot of stuff. Uh, so, uh, call center transformation is obviously one of the key area where we do voice, uh, primarily because the call center is transforming quite a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of new technology with cloud AI that are out there that are making things that possible that were not possible before. Uh, and, you know, with remote working, with, you know, uh, typically some of the call center had outsourced some of the uh, human capability to low-cost location with, you know, various degrees of capabilities and, and, and most importantly, call center were scripted uh, pretty much. You know, people kind of had very scripted way of doing things and, those are, are quite dated now. They're typically quite system focused, and, and now as we reinventing, you know, that fourth uh, industrial revolution, we're competing against people like Amazon with an amazing service, or you know, like some of the amazing kind of a very human-centered uh, tools that we have, like our phone, like you know, Spotify, YouTube, everything is actually quite done for the individuals. And, and those scripts that used to be kind of written a long time ago that are actually kind of done from far away, kind of kind of lost touch. So this is a great opportunity to take this wave to actually, you know, do much more transformation and do voice AI and, 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 and all of that. So a lot of call center, but obviously, you know, also using some of the virtual assistant and some of the apps uh, too. So. 
Nice. Absolutely, recent tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's good. That's and obviously there's a hell of a lot going on in Accenture involved in a lot of the, you know, really, really big, big projects. And you mentioned the the kind of digital transformation initiatives that that a lot of large scale companies are going through, and even small scale companies as well. To be fair, but there's a lot of complexity involved in that, especially when you're dealing with infrastructure that has been, you know, part of an organization's heritage largely, and now all of a sudden it's moving into the cloud. There's a lot of risk involved in that or perception of risk from from the organization so you know it, it takes it takes skills and expertise and good management to actually make that happen I'm curious there that, that i'd be interested in two things one is where you think the interlink or that if there is an interlink between the migration to the cloud and voice and conversational AI capability. Because um, you mentioned that that it's making things happen that weren't possible before. So I'll be interested in those two areas. What, first of all, what is it making happen, or what's it making possible that wasn't possible before? And then maybe we'll get into where, where the link is. Yeah. So I think what was not possible before, meaning when you look at natural language processing, now there's a lot of things of voice processing, speech to text, or NLP or text to speech. You know, there's a lot of you know, capabilities around this that actually now available, you know, in the cloud where you can, you know, just, you know, have very good quality coming out of um, of some of that technology at scale, you know, in hardly any time, yeah. And that was not possible before. I remember we did a we did a project with the Irish Revenue Commissioner was uh, before Google Duplex got out uh, at the time, and, and and it was live and it was voice uh, UX. Um, and you know the first attempt we did, I think it was in 2017. You know, like there was still a little bit of a delay, and you know you were still playing with things that were just not right. Um, you know, you had to play with a number of dimensions to kind of have something that was seamless and felt good. Um, so we we had we did that first attempt and we we're like, it's not good enough. And then six months after, we we're like, okay, we have that. We actually have another patent in interactive voice where we do continuous listening and we put this in and we managed to get something that was very slick. And, and that really worked. I went in production. We actually, the first week we were in trial and we were kind of thinking we will be learning for a week and then we'll stop, we'll pause, we'll learn and then we'll, we'll, we'll ramp up. And it works so well that we said in production and it's automating, I think, 60% of, you know, all the tax um, uh, the tax clearance type of processes in Ireland at the moment and it's, it's, it's working super well. Uh, we have an amazing testimony actually uh, from the CIO on, on YouTube for people that are interested. I can ping the link a bit later. Mm. Uh, but you know, like those things were not possible like five years, you know, like before cloud or before a, a number of things, yeah? Because they kind of, you know, not only the quality is kind of there, you can overtrain some of those things a little bit to make them better and complemented. But, you know, all of that was, you know, not possible, let's say, five years ago, you know? Mm. Interesting. So, so that patent you mentioned, the interactive voice patent. So, refreshes on what that's doing then. So, it's um, it sounds like it's in the call center, is it? So, it, it's constantly listening to the user on the other end. Is that what it's doing? Yeah. So, I guess when you're within the call center, you need to kind of play with some protocol called SIP, which are pretty mm. uh, old-fashioned, and, um, and 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 
you know, to bridge the old way of voice streaming and, and the cloud processing, which is based on HTTP. <coughs> and also some of the practices, if you just do the bridging and wait for a post stream so ERP can understand and all of that kind of things or start some of that, it's actually is quite slow. So what we have in that particular path <coughs> It's kind of a real-time stream of listening where we don't have to wait for poets to do the understanding, which is really helping the overall performance of, of, of key interaction. Mm, interesting. So it's beginning to process the the NLP. The NLP is beginning to do the processing before the audio has stopped streaming, essentially. Yeah, but in a conversation like you and me, we pose and things like that. And, you know, without that kind of technology, you kind of have to wait until there's a pose to kind of get into the NLP and things like that, where we have something which is continuously kind of lessening and helping if you want that, that flow so you don't have to wait for poses. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Um, going back to that cloud discussion then, um, Obviously, the, the, the cloud has enabled things like, you know, uh, processing speech data, speech to text, you know, NLP, a whole bunch of capabilities, you know, uh, speech to te uh, text to speech, rather, um, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of capabilities. But then that's good enough to design an interaction, design a conversation, you know, embed that within a call center or, or fire it up onto a virtual uh, voice assistant or what have you. But a lot of the time... That it needs to do something, doesn't it? It needs to, you know, you mentioned their tax office in Ireland. To, to do anything with a tax office in Ireland, apart from a few kind of like lighthearted FAQs, you, you're going to need to do some kind of integration with the, the systems that they have uh, behind the scenes. How are you observing moving to the cloud is making that either easier or more challenging is is the transformation of organizations moving their infrastructure to the cloud making these kind of like more transformative conversations easier and if it is how how so yeah, I mean, anything you spot on. I always say there's no AI without a side. <laughs> That's kind of my little snippets there. Um, I, you know, and I think for voice AI, we even have a different challenge where. You know, when you do your voice design, it's much better to personalize, anticipate uh, what the person would want to say. So you're much faster at understanding and your flow is actually much better. So on this uh, example of the tax office, we actually looked up people when they were calling in because we had, you know, we, has, we kind of mixed it with a with a dial tone. Uh, they could say as well, they kind of... Uh, citizen number or you know whatever identifier they had and we would look who they were and we were like oh, did, we, did we send them a letter did we do x or y so we, we would try to predict what they were going to ask for um, and i think in voice ai is, is very important because you know open conversation you know having an automated open conversation is still pretty hardcore so without that predictive kind of angle you kind of lose quite a lot of performance because you have to match you have to match around something too broad, yeah? Uh, so I think on your question of API, you know, API integration or backend integration, I think very often, uh, what what we have, what we know, what we do know, a client, a lot of a lot of our clients have done, you know, API transformation um, as far as part of the first 
kind of an era, if you want, of digital transformation. So a lot of companies now have a set of APIs that are available. Meaning if you look at banking, you know, all the banks in the UK have gone through open banking APIs and things like that. Um, so, you know, if they've done that level of transformation, it's quite easy to go and pick. Um, if they haven't, it's always it's always a bit difficult, um, especially in voice AI because you're in real time. RPA, for instance, if you want to go and try to mock up stuff, it's 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 typically the performance you know needs to be very fine tuned, or you want to do those things at the end. So you you kind of mixing synchronous and asynchronous technology together, it's never really that good. Um, so yeah, API are, are very important uh, to kind of really have a, a truly you know, personalized uh, experience. And I think it's super important, much more in voice than in text, um, you know, for the experience to be flowing, to, to have that integration and hyper-personalization um, uh, going on. Mm. So t- tell us about that hyper-personalization um, patent, and that's, that's kind of what, what sort of sparked my interest. I thought, that sounds interesting. Um, tell, tell, us, tell us what the patent is is and, and what it enables yeah so maybe i should start with giving you a context of where 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 this is coming from mm. <laughs> because actually this is what inspired the pattern um so when i when i stood up the studio um 2016 uh in in, in london and we were very focused on you know human-centered design trying to understand, you know, people's challenges, doing design thinking, co-creation, and and knitting in the back, you know, emerging technology together to try to find, you know, new ways of solving, um, you know, challenges in the industry. And, you know, AI was was a big, big topic at the time, and I think it's still a big topic, and everybody was talking about it, and was, but nobody really knew what it was. And the type of question I would get from a lot of people is, you know, can you explain me how is that going to help me in my industry and all of that kind of things. And, you know, so I was doing a number of pitches with a number of client or external kind of um, forum to explain, you know, the power of AI to, to people and democratize, if you want, the understanding because mm-hmm. people were very fearful about what AI was, but primarily because they hadn't decomposed what, what's below it and and in that narrative when I was going around one of the things that was resonating quite well is um, there's, there's there's a potential accessibility angle to AI mm. and by that I mean in the last 15-20 years when you know internet was created and we did all those lovely websites we actually excluded uh, we excluded a number of people which are not digitally savvy. People that can't operate a computer, people that don't have internet at home, and and and, and that accessibility, or people that can't see, or people that can't hear well, and things like that. So there's a number, and and at the time I was appointed at the European Commission as a as an expert for the trustworthy AI place, and there was a number of people um, representing you know those kind of group, and that have been digitally excluded, and were saying you know we need to make sure we don't do it again. Uh, because ultimately, you know, despite all the endeavors, um, there's been a lot of challenges. You know, companies have been going more digital, but all the people that don't have that access uh, were left out. Mm. So, 
and, and, and this accessibility angle and the digital kind of um, divide that was created was, was a key driver. So, um, and I know always had a passion for all people. Uh, and, and, and that's when I reached out to the CEO of ADUK London, Paul Golden. I feel we'll listen. Uh, but basically, when I just pitched in my idea, I said, I really think we can do something different around, uh, around you know, uh, healthy aging in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, we started to, to, to do some session. We had the, what we call a, a coffee tea party or tea party uh, with an older generation where we started to create and do some uh, proof of concept and, and kind of understand what they needed and, 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 and see how this was working. And it was working pretty well. So we started with some very basic stuff where, you know, there was a, a, a lady there that was probably 80 plus um, and we were interviewing them around, you know, you know, some of the challenge they have in the day to day. And one of the story that came out was, you know, she was, she was quite emotional when we were talking about the, 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 the challenge she had. And she was saying, well, you know, I typically get a call once a month or once every couple of weeks for my family, um, you know, and she didn't have a mobile phone and she needed to get to the phone line. Uh, which was physically anchored <laughs> into the wall. And she had a problem with it. And sometimes she was not fast enough. And, and she started to burst into tears to say, sometimes I miss it and I don't get another call for a bit of time. And so the first use cases that we actually went on is, you know, uh, being able to text, you know, have the voice assistant helping, um, you know, texting with the family and voicing back some of the responses. So it's Suddenly, we didn't have to be synchronously kind of connected to the voice. Uh, we could actually decouple and, and get the, 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 the older person, um, you know, sending little messages and receiving them back. One of the key things I was coming back to is the older generation doesn't want to bug the younger generation. They're always worried and disturbed because we're too busy and all that kind of thing. So that was kind of creating. And, and one of the things that was quite mind-blowing is... Um, you know, like when we were kind of testing it with a few people, we, we had, uh, you know, grandparents and, and, and grandchildren kind of texting more than 52 times in a day, you know, like books <laughs> on way. And we were like, wow, this is pretty cool. There's so much stuff we can do. And, and then we started with a voice assistant. At the time, Alexa was not even out in the UK. So we, we shipped some of the first Alexa from US and we started to play around was that big tower and actually freaked out quite a lot of older people because they felt listened to. And then, you know, there's new version that came on with the screen and we kind of started to kind of explore, you know, how, you know, this can help them. One of the things that were freaking them out quite a lot as well was uh, going in retirement home. A lot of them were really... Um, worried about growing older and, and not being able to live in their own home, within their own community and all of that kind of thing. So we were we developed a little bit this healthy aging kind of agenda, but also trying to buck some of the things like social isolation, you know, so people could reconnect with their family, even being able to pick up the phone from the Alexa, say Alexa, pick up the phone or things like that, uh, you know, change people's life quite, quite a lot. So 
that's a long story, but that's kind of the story of this particular pattern. Obviously, when you go into the depth of designing and all of that kind of things, it became really complicated because, you know, the, the way Alexa was working at the time is, you know, you have to remember as a person all the command you send, otherwise she doesn't understand and things like that. Yeah. So what we did is we created this patent, which is we just have to say, hello, okay. And then, you know, the, Alexa knows you. So she looks who you are and, and she kind of greets you and she drives you to some of the routine. And the routines are actually things we configured to start with. You know, we know if that person needs medicine, if that person, you know, a few things we kind of collect at the beginning. But then we kind of are learning as we go on and we modify the voice interaction. So it's really a voice interaction that's designed for the end user and that's evolutive. Um, and that's, you know, uh, that really doesn't put too much strain on then remembering how to interact with the tech. Yeah? Uh, so that's kind of the, the concept of the patent. And in the back, we have a lot of APIs. So uh, it can go from uh, when we did the work at Hanover Housing Association, you know, we had APIs around the um, uh, meetups uh, for the local area. You could actually, um, you know, connect to the bike uh, service. So, you know, they had a bike service where somebody was coming up in a bike and the other people were there. You could do your booking, get a, a blink to say, oh, your appointment is there. We did like digital calendar integration. So, you know, it's almost like a marketplace of API in the back that are actually coming across in, an, in a personalized experience where the user doesn't really need to um, be expert in knowing. We're actually learning, um, you know, what they like and what they want and things like that. Mm. So is it that kind of upfront onboarding uh, kind of experience that, that feeds the personalization? Is that, what, is that what it is? So if you say, you know, I take my medication at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, it's these pills or what have you. I like uh, jazz music and my daughter's name is uh, Michelle and her phone number is, is, is that where you're getting it? Is that what the onboarding process is like? And is that where you get the basis for this personalization from? Yeah, so that's the kind of original model. But, you know, like there was a number of things like, um, encouraging people to do exercise is, is one thing, yeah. Um, so, you know, we some of them had their Fitbit <laughs> connected and, you know, we get the steps and all of that kind of thing. But what's, what's the right number of steps for you to get the nudge to go on a walk and things like that, yeah. So we had some ideas at the beginning, but then, you know, uh, it's it's you kind of learning what are the patterns of the person and you can adjust some of those things as you go on if you want. Uh, uh, also, you know, when we looked at the, uh, it was, the personalization was really important because when you're actually looking at that category of age, it, it's the variability of needs you have is actually quite mind-blowing. And you have some people that are completely insomniac and we just do things. And so we also had a family and carer portal that could actually, if people gave consent, so the end user gave consent, you could actually uh, get, you know, the family and carer view of that. So you could also, you know, uh, potentially change some of those parameters as you were going on and monitoring some of them as a family member or as a care professional or things like that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And so, so, the, so 
the the patent then is what is it is it is it for the kind of algorithms behind the scenes that allow you to either tweak things or allow it to make adjustments based on behavior like is, is it a patent for the algorithm is it for the the whole system like what what does it actually cover yeah, so it's for the overall solution, yeah. And there's not one algorithm, there's like, <laughs> there's a number of them depending on what we're looking at, yeah. So if we look at physical activity, if we look at, you know, we have mind games as well to keep people busy. We even did a pilot with, a, uh, with the NHS in Essex, um, uh, you know, pilot with people with early onset dementia. Uh, it was group pilots, but you know where we were playing with things like uh, you know things to help them in, in case of crisis, and you you would see things where you know so, so that every bit of functionality is almost having its own kind of uh, way of learning uh, what it means for that person, and then you you have that flow if you want of of capability you have that you can evolve all the time too. Mm, nice. But we also had, you know, uh, as part of, uh, of of the solution, we, we also have, uh, you know, and, and we don't, it depends on the capability of the end user, but we have a little feedback kind of um, screen coming up on the, you know, you can configure if it comes every week or every two weeks or, you know, depending on the capability of the end user. And we kind of give them a little bit of, you know, this is the summary of the week, you've done more steps, you did, you did that, or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you did that many social events, you know, you you know that kind of stuff. And, and, and we give them a comparison to what, what they used to and, and, you know, encourage them to do more, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ask them for their, their feedbacks, yeah. Uh, so then we get the feedbacks as well from there. We can we also collect some feedbacks from that um, automated feedback loop. Mm. Interesting. So this almost sounds like it. Like so, is is this just a standalone product in its own right, or is this something that is like you know as part of Accenture's you know whether it's consultancy or whether it's the Liquid Studio kind of innovation labs or whatever? Is this still kind of something that is like part of Accenture or Liquid Studio, or is this a product in its own right that someone can just go to the website, sign up, pay for it, and, and get on with it? Yeah, so at the moment, we, meaning we have a SaaS service for it, and, and but Accenture is is, is not um, is not a B two B two C kind of company. We normally work mm-hmm. for the client, so this is something we bring as a as an asset to some you know some of our partners and clients. And so it's it's actually you know it's part of our offering where people can have a piece of it if you want yeah so we don't have to rebuild it all and, and they can go fast uh, but it's not a standalone offering because we're not a healthy aging company as but we're more consulted mm. it's interesting though because the healthcare market is is obviously a, a huge market and evident evidentially from the from the microsoft and nuance news uh around the acquisition it's it's a big market and lots of people have tried to do something in the the kind of voice ai space for the older generation uh you know heidi culbertson comes to mind with ask marvi um and, and a number of others you know constant companion is another company who's doing something fa- fairly similar from, from the sounds of things um so yeah it's, in, it's interesting that that um 
that you kind of take that approach. I suppose it's a big effort to turn it into a fully marketable product. It, it needs a full company around it, supporting it, doesn't it, really, if you were going to actually try and market it of any kind? Yeah, I meaning there's been a bit been about some discussion about spinning up a startup from it, but we, we haven't proceeded uh, from it. I think the challenge we always had was the commercial model fight because we were looking at all the person holistically. And when, um, when, when you look at the way the UK is actually set up in terms of healthcare, you have health somewhere, you have social services some other places, then you have a number of charity. So, you know, like it, it's actually quite bro- broken down into into silos. And then, when, you know, if you put the, the lens of, you know, a lot of the... A lot of the budget are also within region or within areas. Mm. Um, so um, I was putting a lot of my hope on the Healthy Aging Grant Challenge, which I don't know if you followed through, but um, uh, Teresa May launched just before she left um, as she launched the Grand Challenge on AI and some of the other things. So we went through the Grand Challenge and we, uh, we were in the last bucket, uh, you know, uh, but I was really hoping we would get national reach uh, from it, mm. uh, but we didn't manage to get kind of through. I've been told by uh, by the Grand Challenge uh, team that they actually, you know, post COVID or during COVID, um, they're kind of looking at other ways. Uh, but for me, the the only way, you know, because you can you can always sell some of those solutions, for instance, as commercial product, you know, like telco instead of selling you a telephone and I could sell you, you know, Alexa, you're plugging into a service or things Mm. like that. So, but you know, like then people have to spend quite a fair amount of money. So for me, for that solution to be truly embracing what we were trying to do at the beginning, which is, you know, kill the digital divide um, needs to be, you know, driven from a national level, you know, helped with the government uh, in the UK. Otherwise, we would kind of defeat a little bit some of the purpose where it becomes something that's 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 good and that's helpful for people that can afford it. And, and ultimately, I think it's a shame, but, you know, um, so I'm still having a lot of hope that, we, it's been a long journey, but it's, it's just the beginning of the journey uh, and things are going to change uh, soon. Mm, yeah, interesting. So what, what would be an example then of, of two different people using this same solution and just a, just an, an average user journey example of two people using this system and having different personalised experiences? Yeah, so... Um, uh, you, uh, so one example, I don't know, you know, you wake up in the morning, you actually get to your news or something like that. It kind of reminds you what time of the day it is. Maybe it gives you a, a photo of, you know, if you have early onset dementia, it could give you a photo. It used to be your anniversary and you have the picture popping up or whatever. Uh, if you take medicine, they would say, oh, this is time for your medicine. You can actually plug a pillbox as well to just make sure you have a bit of IoT in there. And people, if they lose memory, they, <laughs> they, they you know, they don't take two times and things like that. Um, and then, you know, what the experience would do typically is we, 
we quite heavy on social isolation. So we go check up in the um, digital diary if there's anything. So today you have uh, the nurse coming up at this time and you have uh, that coming up later. Or today you have nothing. Um, do you want to go check up what's out there? And then it would look at your preferences and and then just drive you through, oh yeah, there's a coffee at the church, or you know, like we would pick those up from Meetup, or what we've done as well for ANOVA, we also had a portal where people could feed events um, to uh, our cohorts, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I don't know, some of the things. <laughs> and then they would register, when they register, it would go in the, di- in the calendar, so if they register in a couple of days, they'll get the reminder, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, then you would say, oh, maybe that's time for a walk now. You haven't moved so much. <laughs> uh, you know, that, and we would just pick up the right time of the day where you like to do your walk, or maybe suggest you call your friend for the walk and things like that, yeah. Mm. Uh, and one of the features that was very, uh, very popular, I think it's harder for us to kind of uh, understand as, uh, as younger people maybe, uh, is, uh, is the... Um, we call it the security checklist. Before mm. people go to bed, when you say Alexa, good night, they really like to, Alexa, oh, yeah, good night. It would just load their own care routine and say, oh, you know, we could configure what they wanted there um, and, and they could change it as well as they see it uh, fit. Uh, you know, like, have you cut off the guys? Have you locked the door? Have you fed the cats? And they really like that mental checklist of, you know, and, and then they could say yes or no. And if they haven't, you know, you're just like, okay, so <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just like, yeah. and then, then you're like, okay, good night. Then. <laughs> you know, like, this is one of the things that was very popular. They really liked that particular feature. Um, That's good. I could do- the daily routine before going to bed. Yeah. yeah, I could do that myself, to be honest. Um, we've put these, um, we've got these lights in the garden now, but the thing with them is there's no, there's no power. So we've got these lights that are plugged in my son's bedroom on a Wi-Fi plug that shines blue and the cable goes out of the window. Then I've cable tied it to the, the drain pipe all the way down the, the, the house. Then I'll go downstairs and I'll br- string the lights along to the other drain pipe. And the only way you can turn them on and off is to tell Alexa to turn the lights on. But when you when you're in the garden and it's dark and you're having the barbecue, you get it to turn the lights on. You totally forget about it. And sometimes I haven't noticed that they're still on until the next Friday on an evening. So I could do with one of them checklists without a shadow of a doubt. Um, one other thing you make me think about that I didn't talk about is is we did a lot of work with our legal team around all of that. Yeah? Mm. Uh, and, and the reason why you made me thought about that is when you were describing your installation, I was like, that sounds like a second. Yeah, that's yeah. Sounds like it should be a That's what it is. <laughs> Definitely is. <laughs> so, really, we had a lot of lawyers and we used some of the principle of privacy by design and, and, and all of that kind of things. And, and we, you know, we're very heavy on, on consent collection and, 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 and we really kind of be very clear about what we use things for or not and all of that kind of things before they actually unroll into the. Into the uh, into the service because um, that's super super important. Um, but that's a, that's a huge piece of work. I think I had eight different type of lawyer crafting 
different view on, <laughs> on, on the platform. And, and wow. that was a huge undertake, uh, a big headache. Well, we've done it now, so we, it's all good. But um, uh, <laughs> uh, but that, that was quite, quite complex. Yeah, I can imagine that was a bit of a mission. Um, has any of this stuff, I mean, obviously this has roots in, in accessibility and, and, and making uh, not just technology accessible, but te- general making connection accessible to other people, making people's kind of able to access other things, you know, like events and things like that. Um, so it's roots are in accessibility, but the nature of a personalized voice experience is pretty much like the 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 promise i suppose of our own personal assistants you know if we have alexa or google assistant or whatever it should be molded to us you know if we ask for the news it should play our news if we ask for our calendar it should be our calendar and all that kind of stuff um how much of this then has or has any of this bled over into other areas that Accenture have been working on. You mentioned you've worked, we've been working on a lot of like contact center uh, automation projects, things like that. Has any of this personalization ethos kind of bled into other areas that, that you and your team have been working on? Yeah, yeah, no, completely, actually. Uh, <laughs> meaning it's not like we use it only in that context. It's just more, um, uh, so yes, completely. So we, we obviously leverage as much as we can of, of the intelligence we create across various um, you know, we, we have a we have an asset in 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 the in the conversational AI practice, which is called the conversational AI platform, which is pretty much of a middleware in between channels and backends. And you can use any NLP, any speech-to-text, any text-to-speech, pretty much. Yeah, so that helps us. You know, you know, when we have clients that are, you know want to support, you know, I think we have more than twenty-five channels. You can be going from, you know, like typical call center software to Connect or some of the latest to MS Teams to, you know, WhatsApp and all of that kind of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have the code experience design and we can plug in some of the experience there, but we can also use any NLP, any speech-to-text we want, d- depending on the interaction. So, and, and, you know, most of the time we use what, what, what feels best, you know, for most, but sometimes, you know, if you have to do, I don't know, something for the UK government and you have to speak Welsh, <laughs> well, like that, then you can bring customized bits so you have a solution that's actually working, um, multilingual and all of that kind of things, and where you have to play with a few of those technologies together. Yeah. And we brought a lot of, of those use cases on, on, on this platform where we have what we call industry cartridges, where we have pre-built experiences like, what, for instance, conversational banking with open banking in the back, you know, with a lot of voice experiences that we crafted with our industry experts. And with our uh, agencies as well, you know, Accenture is one of the biggest agencies in the world with the likes of Fjords and things like that. So we create those and they prepackage. So for our client, we, we can just focus on their specific needs and tweak them up and plug them in there. Hmm. You know, change the, uh, the, the URL of the API, open banking, off you go. Yeah, it can go really fast. Wow. Are conversations with different um, companies within the same industry so kind of so formulaic and similar that you can just lift and shift the entire conversational pattern and change the APIs in the background? Or is there any other 
kind of lifting that needs to be done? Yeah, so it depends, uh, meaning with the conversational AI platform, which is kind of a kind of a universal middleware, if you want. We abstracted a lot of things, so it's very flexible. And our industry cartridge, we can lift them and shift them. Uh, obviously, you know, each client is having a specific need. So, you know, this is a, an amazing jump start, but it needs a little bit of, you know, tuning for the brand alignment and then the number of things and, you know, obviously their processes. Um, but yeah, you can pretty much, uh, you know, use quite, quite a lot of that base because the processes, meaning when you think about um, a utility provider, you know, you just kind of challenge your bill or you want to move or, you know, like all of those things that you can do as a user are pretty similar. Mm. So, you know, you can have a pretty robust uh, starting point from the outset, then you can really, what we really do is we can plug in their channels, what they prefer, we, we can tweak um, the middle because they're kind of there and then plug in the API and then it, it's actually starting to work and you have the human oversight, you kind of see when you fail and you kind of tweak it as you go and you kind of evolve those conversations as you learn, yeah? maybe you have a lane that's needed for that particular client that it didn't have. But it's not like learning of, you know, collaboration in between the machine and the humans to kind of continuously improve it. But typically, you know, when we go live, you, you need in production, depending on the volume you push through, um, you know, at the beginning, maybe you need a little bit of human oversight, but it's, it's a number of, of those things that end up being quite transactional at the end, and you, you can have a very good return in terms of uh, a containment of automation. Mm. Interesting. Um, so the, another element of personalization that, that is... I wanted to speak about is so the personalization we've been largely speaking about is um, personalizing the almost like the functionality part of it, personalizing what it actually does in tailored around the needs of the user. So, for example, you know, the example you gave around walking times or whatever, the, the thing that's personalized there is at the time that it reminds you to go for a walk is different based on the user. <clears throat> Excuse me. The the contact center implementations can be personalized if you, for example, do a look up into a CRM, find out what product someone's just bought, give them information about that return policy for that product or something. So you're personalizing the interaction based on the function that's being performed, if you like. But another way of personalizing something potentially is based on the actual interaction layer. So not the functionality, but the actual conversational layer. So for example, if someone's angry, the bot might respond slightly differently with a different tone. Perhaps it escalates someone to a live agent. If uh, somebody, for example, you know, Alexa has these features whereby you can put it on brief mode if you want to, um, and it, therefore it doesn't go elaborate, it will just play a sound to confirm something or something like that. And whether this is, I'd be interested in, in whether you, whether you, would describe this as personalization or not and also whether you've done whether this is something that you consider when it comes to personalizing do you also look at personalizing the the conversational layer or, or is it predominantly around the functional layer yeah. well, that's a really good question <clears throat> we've done um Okay, so but it's different technology underpinning it um, so um, we've done a lot of work around knowledge graph 
for dynamic conversation. We call it dynamic conversation um, or scriptless conversation. Uh, so there's a number of scenarios where scriptless conversation are actually, from a tech perspective, if you really think about wanting to have a solution that works at the end, uh, makes a lot of sense. So, for instance, you know, you're discussing with somebody uh, a mortgage, you know, the appetite to risk um, before you actually go into a mortgage. So, where there's a lot of interaction in between the bot and the human to understand what the human wants and like and prefer, but you don't need that API calling back, yeah? Mm. <laughs> so, if it's not procedural, because, you know, like, if I want to, I don't know, change, you know, move address, you know, it's quite okay, which address, you know, it's, it's very procedural and you ultimately need the back end call. So you, you, you don't really need that dynamicity if you want, because you, you don't really have it. And, it's, you know, you just want a transaction to happen. And so when, uh, when you have more complex interaction in between the human and the robot, like trying to understand somebody's appetite to risk and all of that, you can start using different technology around knowledge graph, for instance. Yeah? So where you actually kind of define your tree and how you navigate it and, and you, know, you, you want that fluidity. And then typically you can use natural language generation. But when you move through your graph, you know, you, you have a complete dynamic conversation. And at the end of it, maybe you have a score on the appetite to risk that you can feel and you can go into something procedural because the whole process needs to kind of get all those data and pull them through or whatever. Um, so, yes, we, we do that uh, and we, we use um, the, the type of knowledge craft technology. Then you also talked about different modes, yeah? Mm. Uh, so, you know, you can have different level of personalization on the conversation depending on, you know, we call them people like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, segmentation of end user, when you look at the industry, a lot of people put people in the bucket because they're under 25 or they're this or they're that. But, you know, uh, we can plug in into some of our, you know, customer analytic records or some of that, those, that customer segmentation. And what we do is we kind of look at people in terms of behavior, uh, similarity of behavior. So, you know, like you mentioned you had a, a, young, a young kid before. So, you know, like we can know, you know, depending on which client we are, which access to data, you know, if, you know, the person <laughs> having a kid, normally you kind of see differences in various patterns. Uh, so, you know, you could be like people with young kids or people that are going to retirement and things like that. And then you can start, you know, having different modes, yeah? The challenge with all of that is it's quite expensive, uh, obviously, to do all the testing, the configuration and all of that kind of things, yeah? So, mm -hmm. like from a client perspective, you need to find the right balance in, in what's, you know, what's efficient and what's personalized with what's really needed, yeah? Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of one of the um, one of the things that I would love to see, and it's related to personalization, and it's also related to um, accessibility, is we spoke to Heidi Culbertson from Ask Marvi ages ago. So Ask Marvi is is a similar sounding platform, probably not as robust and, and as large. I don't want to say robust because it is robust. It's not as large and as feature rich as, as as what you've been describing. But it started out by allowing, you know, an older relative to text their daughter or the daughter to text the relative and it would play the play through the smart speaker and stuff. 
One of the things that we spoke to her about is what kind of design considerations do you need to take into account when you're designing for an older person versus a younger person? And there was a few things that were really obvious, like um, older people need more time to think, uh, generally speaking. So, so leaving a mic open for seven seconds sometimes is actually pretty difficult because sometimes they might need a bit longer than that to think. Also, it, it is a better user experience in, in a lot of cases, she said, to have the voice slowed down. So speak a bit slower um, and things like that. And so then you've got like, you know, we've had TiVo on the podcast and they've been talking about, which I think they've actually released now um, with Pindrop, the ability to be able to recognize by the sound of someone's voice an approximate age. And so if you're a child and you say, play me something cool, it's not going to go away and play you like haunted movies or like, you know, films with profanity or whatever. It's going to play some kids stuff. And so the combination of those two things, being able to understand uh, or at least profile an approximate age of somebody and in light of of knowing that, being able to change the interaction dynamically in response to it so that when an assistant or someone calls a call center and the, the AI picks up that it's an older person it automatically leaves the mic open for 10 seconds rather than seven it automatically slows down the tone of the voice um that's the kind of stuff that i'm keen to see a bit more of curious about what your perceptions or what your thoughts are about where where this is going where is personalized voice ai going in the future based on what you've seen and observed and worked on so far Hmm. That's an interesting question. There's a number of ways to kind of meaning we always um, voice is an important uh, for our client. It's also an important representation of their brand. Yeah, so people are very fussy about uh, what kind of voice. So there's the kind as well. Um, I know for the Irish Revenue, for instance, you know we were deploying in Ireland. And, you know, we, we couldn't, we, we didn't, <laughs> it was not possible <laughs> to kind of have a, an American accent or British accent because it would have been sacrilege. Yeah? Um, so we had to kind of go and find the right voice. And then that's why we picked up Polly at the time. And uh, we did a lot of SSML on it. So we kind of, with SSML, we can slow it down and we can just tune a little bit some of it. So yes, I'm with you. This is very important. Um, and uh, this is super important. This is super important for the brand image, but this is also super important for the usability of things, you know. But, you know, the voice, the jargon, the ontology, you know, like all of those things, you know, people use different, uh, you know, uh, different generation use, you know, different things. Um, so it's not only the voice and the pose and all of that and the pace is, is also the words you use and, and, and all of that kind of things. Yeah. Mm. In my, 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 <clears throat> so a, a couple of, a couple of thoughts from what I've seen out there. So <clears throat> personalization is amazing if you can do something about it. Um, <clears throat> I, you were using an example of if somebody gets hang, angry, um, you know, it needs to escalate or things like that. We actually did that at one of our clients and then we turned it off at the end because, <laughs> you know, like when you and I have a conversation, I could get a little bit more aggressive for two seconds, but we're just trying to level set up something. Mm. And, you know, like, and, and, you know, like in a normal case, this wouldn't go to anybody. 
And, and, you know, we had some cases where some of that was just escalating too much and actually the people picking up were like, oh, why do I have that call? Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite hard to actually, in a conversation, to kind of grasp it. So I think it's still a bit early. Um, then we, you know, I think the, um, the intonation, you know, I think there is a lot of information in intonation. You know, I, I forgot the name of the model, but, you know, the words, I think it was 20% and the mm. intonation, you know, like it's all, you know, the gesture and then yeah, I forgot yeah. the name of the model. Which model is it? I forgot. Uh, uh, I, can't um, I know you're saying though, it's like 7% of what you say, 30% how you say it and 60% like how you're looking when you say it or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So basically, you know, like the 7% is quite small. The how you say it is, 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 is having some information and then, you know, what you're using to convey it is, is also very important. I think we're starting to go into some of those levels. Then the, the, I, the thing that's really important for clients, so in healthcare, when we work with older people or when we work with six people, the empathy is actually very important. So if you get the feeling of somebody, um, you know, maybe they if they're low, uh, you know, they're depressed or things like that. So you, you know, that information is important to capture because you actually, this is an important thing for your process or for your industry to consider in a downstream, you know, diagnostic and things like that. Yeah. What I found is getting the angry or getting the happy or whatever, all of those things for like, let's say, big telco company. Mm. Uh, it, it's, you know, like the current process doesn't really do that when you think about it. When you call your telco and you're not happy about your bill, you can't stick in with the same person for really long. And it's probably when you've been spending an hour, they give up. Give <laughs> 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 you to somebody if you're lucky, or maybe it's just you know it depends on the provider. Um, so then you have that information from an IT perspective, but then the current processes of the company are not made to deal with it. Uh, so, you know, those are true questions about reinventing some of the operations going on because, you know, you're going to pass your human at the end or, you know, those things that then needs to, needs to run quite smoothly. So, you know, like a lot of food needs to be kind of going on and, and, and there's, I guess there's no silver bullet uh, mm. yet. Uh, one of the other thoughts I was having when you were asking the question was, um, you know, if, if you look at things around channel of communication and how you communicate, you know, there, there is a very generational thing, you know, like my son, for instance, you know, if I send him uh, a normal text, he wouldn't pick up, I just, it needs to be WhatsApp or it needs to be tweet, you know, <laughs> I don't even Instagram, right? <laughs> you know, I just get nothing back, yeah? Uh, you, know, you know, I'm old-fashioned, I use Facebook, oh, you know, like some of those stuff. So there is truly, and you know, in the example we were talking about, you know, the older generation is used to different things. Uh, you know, as we have, as we're growing older as well, there's, you know, people down here as well, uh, you know, like, so you adjust some of your communication channel with, with what you prefer. Um, so I think there is a truly generational thing. So, you know, um, kind of, Thinking about some of that is 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 is, uh, is important, but probably by channel as well. Mm. Mm. 
Interesting, interesting. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you spending some time with us, Leticia. Really, really do. If people want to reach out to you or, or follow what you're doing with Accenture, where's the best place for them to go and do that? Yeah, I guess they can do it on LinkedIn. I'd be delighted. Thank you, Kane. It was a it was a very nice way of ending the day. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation too. So, uh, looking forward to maybe come back in a little bit of time. Yes, indeed, oh, indeed. Oh, always, always welcome. Always glad to have the conversation. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And everybody else, thank you for joining us. Whether you're listening live or whether you're listening uh, on Monday when this comes out on the podcast, uh, if you're not subscribed already, do head to vux.world forward slash subscribe. And next week, that will give you the notification for next week. Next week, we're speaking to Davido, Davide Piero Pat- Petromala of Avaya which is going to be interesting. Find out what they're up to in this space. Uh, have you worked with Avaya, many, con- many Avaya contact centres, Letitia? Yeah, there's a few of there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, well, we'll find out a lot more about what they're doing. Next Thursday, same bat time, same bat channel. And until then, we'll see you later. Thank you, bye.